Okay, good morning everyone. I'm so impressed how many people braved the elements. I was sure it was going to be uh, me and my parents here this morning. So, so grateful for you for coming. Last week we gave the Parsha Shir in the middle of the ocean, somewhere between uh, South Florida and the Bahamas, the first inaugural BRS Empty Nester cruise, those who were on it. We had a wonderful time. I understand Rabbi Moskowitz gave an incredible class last week here. And it's amazing to know that uh, always in good hands with Rabbi Moskowitz, and uh, I, can, I can go on cruises more often, so <laughs> it's good to know. And I'm very grateful to my dear friend, Rabbi Moskowitz. Our Parsha class this morning is generously sponsored by Meyer Berkowitz in memory of his beloved mother, Lena Berkowitz, and by David and Helen Levitsky in honor of their Torah dedication, in honor of their children and grandchildren, Juliana and Ilan Rosenblatt, Abby Noah Benjamin and Maya. We're very grateful for the sponsorship. This week we have the privilege of studying Parsha's Vayaka. It's a short Parsha. Usually we often we read Vayaka Pakude together with the leap year. We've got to fill more Parshia, more Shab, more Shabbosim with Parshios. So we read it separately. It's a short Parsha. And it's a difficult Parsha to study. Not because the Parsha itself is so complicated or difficult, but we've just seen these very themes. We've just seen everything in Parsha's Vayaka. Vayaka Pakude are the exact repetition of Truma Tetzava. It's repetitive. It's redundant. We were just there. We just saw this movie. We just saw Truma Tetzaveh, and we got a little break, Kisisa, an unwelcome break with a very sad story. The smashing of the Luchos and the terrible miscalculation of the Chayta Egel. And here we are back again, immersed in the dimensions, immersed in the ingredients, the engineering, the architecture of the Mishkan, of the Kalim, of the utensils, everything that is in it. So we'll try to review Parshat Vayakal and understand. Well, first we'll suggest, why, why repeat it? Why repeat it? So the Ramban says, you know why Vayaka Pakude needs to be repeated? Torah's real estate is the most valuable real estate on the planet, in the universe, in the world. There is no more valuable real estate. Every letter, every tag, every crown of a letter is only there if it serves an important purpose. There's nothing gratuitous, there's nothing extraneous. Everything is there to teach a lesson. So why would we take up so much space to repeat? So the Ramban says, because... True, Hashem gave us the Mishkan before the Egel. And when the Egel came, it significantly diminished, it significantly injured our relationship with Hashem. And so, if you recall, Hashem said, you know what, after you can do what you did to me, after you could have such an act of disloyalty, of infidelity, after you could cheat on me, Echeta Egel, I will no longer have a direct, immediate closeness or relationship with you. Now, It'll be through an intermediary, through an angel. And that severed the promise of Hashra Sashrina. After all, what was the mission, the purpose of a Mishkan? <coughs> mishkan, Shechina. Mishkan means a house. Mishkan is the same root. Shin Chav Nun is the same root as Shechina. It is a building, it is a home for Hashra Sashrina, for God's divine dwelling. To feel His presence, to know that one is in His shadow to feel his love, his support, to turn to him for guidance, to ask of him, to thank him, to protest or to object to him, but to feel Hashem's presence intensely. Hashras hashchina. Lord Rabbi Jonathan Sachs says, Shechina is from the word shachin, means neighbor. Hashem is not the one who's distant, who's far away, he's close, he's accessible. So Hashem says, that works well, we're moving in together, we're married, we're building a life, there's love, there's loyalty. But if you're not going to be loyal, and there's not going to be love, I don't want to live with you. And so he withdraws his Ashra Sashchina in last week's Parsha after the Chayta Egel. He withdraws and says, 
Yeah, I'll connect with you. We made a contract. We have a covenant. But you know what? My lawyer will be in touch with you. My executive assistant will be in touch with you. Shem says, for now on, speak to my lawyer. We'll communicate and commune through an intermediary, through a shliach. He withdraws and says, I don't want to be near you. After you can do what you did to me, I don't want to be near you. So that severed the promise of the Mishkan, of Shechina, of feeling like a Shachin, through an intermediary. is now that the relationship has been repaired, we reinstate and we restore the promise of Shechina, of Hashras Shechina. The Mishkan had to be given a second time because it is a second Mishkan, it's not the same Mishkan. This is a stronger Mishkan. This is a Mishkan that has more integrity, more dignity, more loyalty, and more love, and therefore it'll be more lasting. The first command, the first promise of the Mishkan lasted only as long as the Jews were loyal. And when they withdrew their love, Hashem withdrew His Shechina. And now that they have properly atoned, which is in itself a whole story, the atonement was the result of remorse, regret, shame, guilt. Moshe doesn't smash the luchos when he hears about the Chet Ego. We did the Parsha here on the boat last week, not in person, so I'm still getting out some of Parsha's Kisisa. You'll forgive me. I'm without the room spinning. So, <laughs> Moshe doesn't smash the luchos because he hears the Jewish people worship the calf. When does he smash the luchos? Only when he descends from the mountain, sees with his eyes. They're dancing and singing and hopping and bopping and fabrengen and a tishan and oneg. Wow, it's geschmack. We'll all be meeting to dance and sing and, and toast l'chaim to the eagle that we built. And Moshe says, well, you know, everyone's entitled to make a mistake. We all have bad judgment. We make mistakes. We are distracted by temptation, by desire, by our appetite. The question is, when we wake up and recognize what we've done, do we celebrate it? Do we toast it? Are we nostalgic for it? Do we take pride in it? Or are we filled with regret and shame and embarrassment and remorse? So when he sees them, the Mecholos, dancing in circles, he smashes and he says, this is an incorrigible and hopeless people. And Hashem says, you're right, I'm out of here. Hashra Sashchina. And Moshe says, erase me from the book. It's as if Moshe and Hashem go hand in hand and say, you know what? We give up on this. We're out of here. We got each other. We don't need them. We're out of here. But then it says the Jewish people mourned. It's an incredible pasuk in last week's parsha. The pasuk says, They heard and they mourned. They grieved. The same word, is used in the context of the Meraglim. Because we're prone to make mistakes. We have a pattern of poor judgment. And soon enough, the Maraglim are going to make a mistake. They're going to go to Israel, come back, give a negative report, fail again to trust the Hashem, again, negatively impact that relationship. And when they understand the implications, the consequences, again, Vayisablu, they mourn. What does mourning have to do with a mistake? Misalovitchik explains mourning means, what is mourning? Mourning is the acknowledgement of a loss. Not a loss that's replaceable. People experience a loss of money and they're sad. They're sad. Hurricane Sandy wiped out people's basements and photo albums. It's sad. A person's car, God forbid, gets totaled in an accident. It's sad. You lose something of value. Your stock portfolio goes down. It's very sad. <laughs> very sad. But it's money. And it's replaceable. But when you lose someone who's irreplaceable, you mourn, you grieve. Avelis. You become a mourner. Real mourning is for that which is irreplaceable. Something replaceable, it's inappropriate, it's excessive to react with mourning. 
So why would we describe the recognition of making a mistake as mourning, as grieving? Says Rabbi Salavechik, you are mourning and you are grieving. Who? Whom? Yourself. Yourself. That lost opportunity, that lost moment in time, that miscalculation, that relationship which now is a wedge has been driven into it. There is mourning and there is grieving, something that can't be replaced, namely the lost opportunity, the lost time, the lost piece of ourself in that mistake, in that miscalculation. So Moshe smashes the luchos, and Hashem hand in hand says, let's get out of here, when they seem like they have no regrets. And then Vayisablu, when they grieve, when they realize, whoa, what have we done? When the reality of their bad choices sets in, and they grieve and mourn its consequence, both Moshe and Hashem are ready to say, let's start again. And when they're ready to say, let's start again, now the Ramban says, now the Mishkan is reinstated. Shechina, Mishkan, Shachem, Shechina, Hashem says, I'm ready to move back in. I'm ready to move back in. And that's why we have Ayaka Pekudeh. By Yaakov Akudah, we read differently than we read Shuma Tetzava. It's Hashem saying, I'm ready to move back in. Let's remarry. I'm ready to start again. I officiated the wedding of a couple who got married for the third time. There are couples who remarry and they keep struggling and they come back together. Vayaka Pekude is the remarriage of Hashem and the Jewish people. And when one addresses the deficiency or the fault, or the challenge, the stress in the relationship, and we address it sufficiently, the new marriage, the second, the third, the tenth marriage, is stronger than it ever was. <coughs> I probably mentioned to you before, there's a, we tried to bring her this year, we were unsuccessful, hopefully next year. There's a therapist. We went two weeks ago. Last week? Two weeks ago. We took a, a group from the Shul Hebra from the community on a base medrash fly into New York. In two days, we met with 12 Russia yeshiva from 12 different yeshivas all over the New York area. It was incredible. <clears throat> it was an extraordinary two days. One of them, the first meeting we had, we landed in Sharyashiv. We met with Rav Yeager, the Rashiva of Sharyashiv. So he told us, in, in passing, in the conversation, each one gave us a Torah, a shir, and then we had a question and an answer. We were really able to, in a very intimate setting, connect, learn from these, uh, from these truly great people. So Rav Yeager said that in, in the Beis Medrash and Sharyashiv, he's instituted, he tells the Bachram, the boys, and the Kolo Yungalite, that they shouldn't drink out of a bottle. Always pour into a cup. Pour into a cup is more dignified, it's more appropriate, it's more proper. Sit in the dorm, outside the gym, when you're having lunch in the cafeteria, drink however you want. But in order to try to promote and to cultivate a sense that this place is more dignified, the place is more special, so now he got this in my head. Now I always pour some water. Sure. That's explaining to you why I poured it into a cup. I've become more dignified. Finally. Finally. So anyway, l'chaim from my cup. Does anyone know what I was talking about before I... <laughs> Can anyone help me get back? Where was I? What was I talking about? Oh, oh, this therapist, Yes. We have a Parsha class still to get to, but this therapist, her name is Esther Perel, she's a traditional Jew, her parents were survivors, she grew up, I think, in, in Austria, moved to Israel, lives in America, she has written several books, best-selling books, and has a podcast, she's really, really excellent insight into marriage and into therapy. Aren't you impressed? I'm not quoting Dr. Gottman, somebody else, Esther Perel, P-E-R-E-L. She has a TED Talk that she gave. Like all TED Talks, it's, I don't know, 10 minutes long, 12 minutes long. It is millions and millions of hits. 
and I highly recommend watching it. She later turns it into a book. But her thesis in the TED Talk is how to come back from infidelity. How to come back from a strain on a relationship in its harshest, most extreme form when one spouse cheats on another. But whatever form of a stress or a strain on a relationship, there's all forms of cheating that can take place. There are physical affairs, emotional affairs, financial affairs. When a person is <clears throat> doing things with the finances without disclosing it to their spouse or giving access or transparency, there's all kinds of strains that are placed on relationship. And she her thesis is, everyone will be married in life more than once. The only question is, will it be to the same person or a different person? That's her thesis. And her argument is that when that moment of poor judgment, when that chayta ego, when that sin happens, will it be a revelation? Will it reveal something that was wrong, that was broken in the relationship, and now it can be fixed, it can be repaired, it can be healed, and the second marriage will be stronger and better than ever? Or will it reveal a fundamental flaw that compounds itself, or that escalates, or that spirals, and that can't come back from? That choice is up to the couple. Can, and there are halachic implications here. We'll leave that out for right now. Depends on who did the act of disloyalty, of infidelity. But if one can heal, it can be better than ever. And I've seen that with my own eyes and couples that I counsel. And why am I bringing that up? First of all, it's worthwhile to watch. If you just Google TED Talk, Esther Perel, P-E-R-E-L. But it's exactly what Vayaka Pukude are. It's the second marriage. There was a chayta egel. There was infidelity. There was a cheating spouse. We, the Jewish people, cheated on the Ribbon Shalom. We panicked. Moshe didn't come back. We built an egel. We panicked. We cheated on him. In a moment of fear, of anxiety, of panic, Vayaka Pekude is our second marriage, is our coming back. And when one can come back, it's stronger than ever. So that's number one is the Ramban. I'll tell you the second is the Beis HaLevi. Basically, says, if you'll notice something in Vayaka Pakude, we have all of our Vayaka Pakude that we did not have in Truma and Tetzave. It seems like it's exactly the same. We have the same dimensions and ingredients and materials and architecture and design and so on. It looks exactly the same. But there is an expression, a phrase that appears over and over in Vayaka Pakude that wasn't in Truma Tetzave. And the phrase is, Ashkasher Tziva Hashem Lasos, as Hashem commanded you. Why over and over the expression, as Hashem commanded you? And the answer is, the ego came in between. See, according to, we've said this many times, according to the Kuzari and others, the Chayta ego was not an act of infidelity. It wasn't an act of cheating, but it was a miscalculation. The Jewish people wanted to draw close to Hashem. They needed a physical, tangible means through which to do it. Moshe disappeared. He was their physical embodiment. They panicked. They built an eagle to represent Hashem. They didn't build an eagle as an alternative to Hashem. They built an eagle as a means through which to connect with Hashem. Where did they go wrong? We're not allowed to have religious creativity, innovation. We're not supposed to explore what feels good or is meaningful to us. If we're really trying to meet the needs of another, we have to do what they ask us to do. That's what contributes to the relationship. And that's why we had the Mishkan as the Rafua before the Makkah, the healing before the, the plague before Kisisa. Then comes Kisisa, the Chayta Ega, where we miscalculate and do even a noble ends, but through an innoble means. And then we have Bayaka Pakude with Kasher Tziva. As God commanded. You need something physical to connect to God? That's legitimate. It's understandable. That's reasonable. But you can't create it, invent it, innovate it. It has to be kashir tziva. It has to be what God commanded you. I liken it again to marriage. Imagine your spouse says to you, I need you to do A, B, and C. 
I'd like you to do A, B, and C. It'd be meaningful to me. It would help me. I'm asking you to do A, B, and C. You say A, B, and C? That's such a good idea. I understand why you need that. But I'm going to do it like X, Y, and Z. I think it's so much better to do it through X, Y, and Z. I'm going to do it differently or in a different place or at a different time. I have a different way of doing it. So what's your spouse going to say? I appreciate that you want to still do it, but I asked you to do it the way I asked you to do it. I didn't ask you to reinvent how to do it or do it differently or do it in a way that doesn't work for me. I asked you to do A, B, and C. So true, you're doing X, Y, and Z, and you're looking at me like, I was doing it for you and I was doing it better, so what's your problem? The answer is if you care about me and you care about the relationship, it's not about how you think the best way to achieve that goal is. It's doing what I asked you to do. So Hashem says, I asked you to have a mishkan. You can't go build an ego. And even if you say, well, we built the ego because we want to connect to you and we need a physical, tangible means to connect to you. Hashem says, that's nice, but that doesn't help us. That's not our relationship. So Vayaka Pekudeh is repeated, says the Beisat Levi, because of those words, as Hashem commanded you. Stick with ABC. Don't reinvent XYZ. Okay, there's other interpretations. I don't want to spend a lot of time on why we have Vayaka Pekudeh. The bottom line is we have Vayaka Pekudeh. So let's study it. Vayaka. At least this week, let's study Vayaka. Vayaka begins. Vayaka Moshe is called Das Yisrael Vayomar Alem Eila Dvar Masher Tziva Hashem Moshe gathers all the Jewish people and he commands. Here are the words in the opening pasuk: Asher Tziva Hashem La'asosusam, as God commanded them to do. Don't try to discover new spiritual paths. Don't have such creativity. Don't be so independent. We have a sacred Torah. It's got 613 mitzvos. There's a lot of room for individuality and creativity within the system that we have. But don't try to deviate or ignore or mold or conform the system to what works for you. The whole essence of Vayaka Pekude is Asher Tziva Hashem Lasos, as Hashem commanded us. Six days do work, the seventh day is, is holy. You must. And if you do work on that day, bad news, capital punishment. Don't burn a fire in your homes on Shabbos. This is the one malacha that we have that's spelled out. The rest of all malachas were given as one category. Don't do malacha. The one that is named, that is identified, that is, that is separated, it's given us explicitly, is... Don't burn, don't burn a fire. Why was it? Why was it taken out? Is it lachal? Is it to teach us that? Uh, let's not get into this. But why was it taken out? Is a is a debate. Losavarush is the one. So the first section we have of our parsha, and then we're going to get into the malachas hamishkan, is Shabbos. Shabbos. In the past we've had mishkan and Shabbos. Now we have Shabbos and mishkan. So why are we starting out with Shabbos? I want to ask you three questions. Why are we starting out with Shabbos? Why is Shabbos given kol adas b'nei Yisrael? Everybody together? Why can't it be like the other mitzvahs that are given independently, individually? Why does it have to be given in a gathering, collectively? Why does it have to be given to a community? Adas b'nei Yisrael. And what does it mean, la'asososam? To do it. You don't do Shabbos. Shabbos is all about inaction, not action. It's about what we're abstaining or refraining from, not what we're called to do. Six days a week we do We've spoken about this in the past. You can listen to Pasha Shiram of the past. That in Judaism, work is not a concession. Work is a mandate, is a mission. If one won the lottery, you're still not entitled to just sit back and do nothing. For us, work is not just a concession. It's the only way I can eat and have a roof over my head and a car to drive, so I guess I have to work. No, and I have countless sources to support this. Not for now. As I said, you've been listening, we've discussed it in the past. 
But work is in itself a value. Hashem invites us to be His partner in conquering the world, v'kivshua. Go discover, go manipulate nature, go make progress, go advance, go do work, be my partner, be productive, contribute, achieve, accomplish, have ambition and aspiration. Shishis yamim, six days do work. Because after all, the Torah could have just said, on the seventh day rest, I, I want to be a machmir and rest all seven days. I don't want to do work all seven days. It's a new chumrah. If resting one day is good, resting all seven days is even better. I'll introduce a new chumrah to the world. So the Torah says, that's not a chumrah, it's a kula. Do work. Abstaining from work is designated for the seventh day. But the six days, go out there and change the world. Go out there and make a difference. Go out there and do something. I know many, some, a handful in this room are retired. Judaism doesn't believe in retirement. You're retired from your profession. You're retired from your career. But from being an Eved Hashem, from being a Jew, from having a mission to positively impact the world, maybe you've changed careers. You went from your job as a lawyer, doctor, accountant, teacher, whatever the case may be, and now your career is as a grandparent. Now your career is as a volunteer. Now your career is as a friend. Now you have a career to go to doctor's appointments and get through the day with them. I'm not joking. I don't mean that in a joking way. I mean it. Now the career is to get through the day with challenges and trials and tribulations, with emuna and optimism and faith in Hashem, and still doing what you need to do, which can become, as many of you know too well, a full-time career. And I'm not saying this in a joking way. I'm being serious. But the point is, we don't as Jews wake up ever and say, I'm retired, I'm done. So my entire life is defined by golf, tennis, mahjong, and early bird supper. That's not my whole life. There's nothing wrong with those things. Nothing wrong with those things. I can't wait to have time to do those things. There's nothing wrong with those things. But that's incidental to our life. It's the recreation part of our life. It's not who we are. It doesn't define our life. People make a mistake. They confuse making a living with living. So when they're done making a living, they're done living. But even while we were making a living, that should never have been our life. So that when we're done making a living, now we can really live life. Maybe coming to the afternoon kola, going to a parsha shir, volunteering for bikr cholom. Whatever the case is, we're never ever done. To be created in the image of God. God, God didn't have to just rest on the seventh day. God too could have created the entire world in a moment, in an instant, and then had seven days of rest. God could have started life, the world with a sabbatical. But He didn't. He worked six days and rested on the seventh because He's our role model. If the Ribbon Shalom worked for six days... You think you're retired? Never. As I said, we've spoken more about that in the past. But why is it lasos? So Shabbos is all about what I refer... So six days a week, I work, I create, I mold, I shape, I repair, I advance, I conquer. And the seventh day I rest, I'm at peace with nature, I'm at peace with the world. So the seventh day is all about what I'm not doing. So why would it be expressed as lasos to do? So why is it given in a community? And why is it expressed here as as Lasos. And why is it here? Why is it here to begin with? Why is it here to begin with? So, the Salatim Rebbe answers. We're going to offer a few answers to this question. We'll start with the Rav. The Rav and the Rav Chumash explains the reason that it's given by the entire community is because the definition, he writes, when a violet Shabbos publicly denies the creation and the creator, while violating Shabbos in private does not involve heresy, since by definition, testimony is a public declaration. We talk about a machal Shabbos b'farhesia. 
Somebody who desecrates Shabbos in public is kofar v'chola Torah kula. Somebody who desecrates Shabbos in public is in denial of the entire Torah, is a heretic, is in denial of God. We'll, we'll come back in a moment to talk about the modern day application of that. And that comes from here, says the Rav. Because Shabbos was given in Vayakel, kol adas b'nei Yisrael, Hashem gathered everyone, put them together, created a community and said, I want you to know what it means to be part of the community is to embrace Shabbos. If you publicly observe Shabbos, you're part of the community of the faith community. And if you publicly desecrate Shabbos, you have extracted yourself from the community. We all know that for time immemorial, an observant Jew has been defined as a, a Shomer Shabbos. Are you a Shomer Shabbos? Rabbi Sabalovsky spoke last week, Shal Shuddha says, Shomer Zachar Why don't we describe somebody as a Zachar Shabbos? Everyone, we ask, are you a Shomer Shabbos? What about are you a Zachar Shabbos? But Shomer Shabbos, Shomer Shabbos, famously it has been said that more than the Jews have kept Shabbos, Shabbos has kept the Jews. So since this moment of Vayakel, when Moshe gathered the Jewish people and he looked at them and he said, if you want to define yourself, if you want to identify or associate as a member of the observant community, what it means is Shabbos. If you say, I don't keep Shabbos, it's hard for me, but I keep Shabbos, I'm having all my Uggs tested, I, I keep uh, kilayim in my backyard. I'm not mixing different than the hybrids. Nobody knows what I'm talking about. Uh, Uggs. It's a crisis in the Jewish people going on right now. We don't know because we're blessed to live in a warm climate like smart people. But there are people elsewhere. There are people elsewhere. On that trip to New York, it snowed. I was telling you about a moment ago. And as we were slipping and sliding in the car and our feet, which are still defrosting two weeks later, and I'm looking at all these people, I used to be one of them, I was raised there saying, don't you know you could have it better? I wanted to just like save them from themselves and redeem them. Don't you understand? Don't you know you could have a better life? Anyway, so, Uggs. So, the people of North, Uggs, there's a question that Uggs may have shot in them. So people are panicking. This is, it's called a first world Jewish problem, but it's a, but it's a crisis. It's a crisis that has spun out of control. It's right after the Shidduch crisis. The Shidduch crisis and then the Ugg crisis. Sometimes there's overlap between the two. Anyway, so, so you say, I don't keep Shabbos, but I keep Shabbos and I keep Kalayim and I keep all these other things. So we say, that's nice, but Shabbos, why is Shabbos so important? So the Rav describes, because Shabbos is a public testimony, I believe God created the world. Why does one observe Shabbos? Why does one observe Shabbos? Because what you're saying is God created the world in six days and rested, and I'm emulating Him, so I too control, work, manipulate for six days, and then I rest. So when I rest on the seventh day, I'm paying homage, I'm paying testimony that God created the world, that He is the Creator. And if I don't work, rest on the seventh day, and I say, I'm not bound by this whole seventh day resting thing, what one is saying is, I don't believe that there was a God to emulate, to follow in His footsteps, to walk in His way. And that's why... Rabbi Soloveitchik says, Vayaka Moshe is called Adas B'nei Yisrael. Why are they called an Adas B'nei Why are we called Adas B'nei Yisrael? Some shuls use the term Adas. Why is Adas a congregation? Said the Rav, because the word Adas comes from the word Eida. In the construct form, it comes from the word Eid, which means a witness. Moshe assembled the entire nation to teach them the Jewish charge to act as a witness through keeping Shabbos. When we observe Shabbos, we are paying testimony. We are a witness that God created the world. We're offering edus. He doesn't explain it this way, the Rav, but I will take his explanation to answer. Now we understand why la'asos. 
Because Shabbos is not just passive. Shabbos is not just about being inactive. Shabbos is being active as a witness, giving testimony. By being passive on Shabbos, one is actively testifying that God created the world. So why did it have to be in a congregation? Because that's the definition of what it means to be part of this religious community. Why the word adas? Because we're giving edus, we're an aid, we're giving testimony. Why laasos? What are we doing that's active? By being inactive, we're actively testifying that God created the world. Now just a brief tangent is that of course we don't apply this today. What do I mean? Somebody who was not raised with a Jewish education, a Jewish background, a Jewish observance, whose Mechal Shabbos Bifar Hesiyah, some who drive to our shul on Shabbos, and it's wonderful and we welcome them, and it's fantastic, because it certainly is better than driving to the beach or the mall or the concert. And yesterday's driver becomes tomorrow's walker. I wish more. We have 134,200 Jews in South Palm Beach County. It's embarrassing how few are driving to our shul. It means that we are not a magnet. They don't view us as a place to come to explore their identity and their religious growth. So do we say, Mechal Shabbos for Esia! Kofar Kola Torah Kula, get out! You're not in the Minyan! Can't get an Aliyah! Or do we say that maybe this definition has changed? So there are tshuvas that go back 150 years already in Europe yet that said, when was it the Mechal Shabbos before Esia is a din of a Kofar? Can't be counted in Minyan, can't get an Aliyah and so on. When the community was insular and was and was worked together as one, and a person who chose to be Mechal Shabbos was spitting in the face of the community. It was an act of rebellion. But today, where someone's Chilo Shabbos is not an act of rebellion either to community or to God, they no longer have that status. Tshuvas go back to Germany in particular. They began, not coincidentally, with the Enlightenment, but... Those tshuvas have, have been the Chazanish himself writes in the Sefer Chazanish. The halacha about Moridin Malin, that you lower a heretic, you don't save their life. All these halachas have changed today with the principle of a tinok like a baby who was captured and raised among captors with no exposure to Torah education, Torah life, and then they were freed, and now they're Machal Shabbos. You're going to say, Machal Shabbos before Hesia? Heretic? Kofar Kola Torah Kula? So there are people who even in freedom, are as if they're captured by a secular background, a secular lifestyle. They've not been exposed to Torah. So, going back to Germany in the late 19th, early 20th century, and Chazanish and others. So the, the application of, of this rule, Machal Shabbos Fares, is different today. So anyway, all that is, is Rabbi Soloveitchik. Number one, why is it the word Adas? Why is it given as a community? And why is it last so something which is active? Salam Rabbi gives a second perspective. Salam Rabbi says... You know why it's right now? Last time we had Mishkan, then Shabbos. Now we have Shabbos, then Mishkan. Says the Salonim Rebbe, this is part of the repair for the damage of the Chet Ego. How do you come back from a Chet Ego? How do you recover from such a poor choice, such a mistake, such a miscalculation, such an egregious indiscretion? How do you come back? The power of Shabbos. You can't as an individual come back. When you make a horrible mistake and you try to remain an individual distinct and separate and apart, you're still judged by your decision. But when you choose to integrate and to blend and to join the Jewish people, the community lifts you up. Like a stock that's part of a sector that's on the rise, even if the particular stock doesn't have good news or even maybe has a little bit of bad news, but the sector is on the rise, it rises with the sector. 
And when a person sees themselves as part of the community, then we rise with the community and we're no longer evaluated and judged by ourselves as individuals. It's kind of like we spoke about last week with the chelbana, one of the ingredients of the ketoris, of this, even though it had a repugnant odor, when it surrounded itself with ten pleasant fragrances, the overall mixture was pleasant. So when we join the community, and that's why Islam Rebbe says, what's the antidote to a chayta egel? Joining a community on Shabbos. Shabbos, la'asos, create a sense of community. I want to read to you, not from the Slotim Rebbe, I want to read to you from the Imre Chaim, the Vizhnitzer Rebbe, which again, I'm grateful to my friend Mendy for giving me this gift, and I love the Sefer. Short little insights by the Vizhnitzer. So he says the following, what does it mean to do? Where is their activity with Shabbos? It's all passive inactivity. Shabbos is defined by passivity, by, by not doing. So he says, maybe the answer is, there is one thing you do on Shabbos. And you know what it is? For the Rav, it was giving testimony. For the vision of the Rebbe, you know what you do on Shabbos? You know what the Lasos is? We also had in Parshas Kisisa, Lasos is a Shabbos. Shabbos is a Shabbos. Lasos is a Shabbos. Vishamru, safeguard, don't violate 39 Malachas. That's inactivity. Lasos is a Shabbos to make Shabbos. What's the Lasos? Who are you, Desha, Miss Asvim, Yachad, Biava, Viachva, Lashir, Shiros, Vitishbachos, Laboris, Borachshemo? You know what you create on Shabbos? I love this insight. You create community. Shabbos is all about not creating. Six days a week you create. Six days a week you work. Six days a week you make something. You fashion something. And Shabbos you rest. But Lasos, there's one thing that you create on Shabbos. And you know what it is you create? Community. Community. What does that mean that you create community? Well, it means you come to shul. Maybe those who don't have time or ability to come to shul during the week, but they make that time on Shabbos. Those who can't come to Minchamarav come Minchamarav on Shabbos. It means that community around your Shabbos table. Some people's greatest dream in the world is to have a Shabbos where they're all alone on a deserted island with a safer, a magazine a chalant, some kugel, a piece of chicken, and a pillow and a blanket. And maybe once in a blue moon that can be a dream. Once in a blue moon that can be a dream. But that's not Shabbos. The la'asos, what we create on Shabbos is community. To be around a table filled with people. Like he says, b'yeshivas chaverim ba'achtos, with a sense of unity, l'hodos l'ashem izbarach, b'chiyos t'kedush l'chod Shabbos kodesh. And to sing and to share divrei Torah and to feel elevated and uplifted and enriched, to be revived from the weak. All week long we have a to-do list and tasks and chaos and machlokas. Am I for or against the merger? Is this just the, the left is unreasonably critical or the right wing crossed a red line with this merger? Should I be happier against what's going on in America and Venezuela? What's going to be with the stock market and the economy and a shutdown and a oh, spring training? Will my team make it this year? All week long I've got these enormous anxieties. Dogs have shot in us, does it not have shot in us? And Shabbos comes and I unplug, I disconnect and I connect to what matters, I revive myself. I come alive again. How do I do that? When you sit with people you care about, with a sense of unity. So I'll tell you what will not revive you? A three-hour Shabbos meal debating politics. That will not revive you. I'll tell you what will not energize you? 
a four-hour Shabbos meal with which schools, the tuition crisis of their community. Did you hear the rabbi's announcement? Is he staying? Is he going? Did they hire him? Did he pass? Did he fail? What's going to be? The RCBC? That's not going to revive you. I can promise you what will not give you chiyas, what will not bring hashras hashchina, what will not be adas b'nei Yisrael, what is not la'asos, he says, b'yeshivas chaveirim ba'achtos. We should have policies at our Shabbos table about conversation that is not allowed. Not allowed. We're allergic. It's simply not tolerated. It's not allowed. Only conversation that energizes, that uplifts, that unites. That's meaningful. Now you could have intellectually stimulating conversation. You could talk about issues of the day in a way that brings people together and is enriching. I'm not suggesting that we have to just talk about the weather which we seem to be obsessed talking about here in Florida. Um, there are other things that we could talk about, sophisticated things we could talk about, but things that unite, not things that divide. So, HaKadosh Baruch Hu can't command us that there is something that you need to create on Shabbos. You know what it's called? Community. We say, we have no idea how to create that. What does that look like? What is that? He couldn't command us to do it without first experiencing it. So, before commanding the people that you know what Shabbos looks like, it's community. It's a shul community. It's your Shabbos table community. It's your bungalow community. It's your backyard community. It's your walking group community. It's your it's communities. That's what Shabbos is. Lasos, you're creating something. Ninety nine point nine percent. Inactive. The one active, the one active creation on Shabbos is creating community. So how does he communicate? What does that community look like? He practices it. Vayaka Moshe is called Das Bnei Yisrael. So beautiful. Kidei laharos lahem dugma lavodas kodesh zu. V'zeu vayaka Moshe is called Das Bnei Yisrael vayomer aleim. Kemora be'etz ve'ela advar ma'ashur tzidah Hashem na'asos osam. Hear what the vision it says? Moshe gathers everyone. Vayaka Moshe, it's called Adas Bnei Yisrael. He has the nation, the people, the community gathered. Vayomer Aleim, and he said to them, and the vision of says, Kimona Betzma, he pointed with his finger, and he said, Eila Hadvar Hashem, This, what you see right now, all being together, this is what God commanded, La'asososam. This is what he wants us to create. This is what he wants us to experience. Not private minyanim in every home on a Friday night. Not adults running to a teen minion to escape having to sit with their fellow adults and hear a rabbi's drusha. That's not Shabbos. That's not Shabbos. La sososam, to create community, to be together, to have the walls reverberate with the sounds of a community. I'm not talking about an endless davening or a monotonous davening. It should be a streamlined davening, a meaningful davening. It doesn't have to go on forever. We should make an effort. We've been trying here. So, what you see here is It's what God's commanded you to do each and every Shabbos. That's what Hashem wants. That's what Hashem wants you to achieve each and every Shabbos. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. And then he continues to explain now that last pasuk, the one malacha, which is spelled out, lo savaru don't have a fire burning in any of your dwelling places, says the Vishnitzer, When you're sitting at home alone, you can't feel the fire of Shabbos. When you're home alone, lo savaru Shabbos, 
If you're sitting alone, the meal's over as quickly as possible, you're flipping through your magazine, you're done, you can't wait to get to sleep, that's not the fire of Shabbos. The fire of Shabbos. Lo tevaru eish b'yom ha-Shabbos, lo rak b'yom ha-Shabbos tevaru b'chameish kodesh, ela gam b'yom ha-sachol targish kedusha Shabbos kodesh. He says, not just do you feel the fire burn on Shabbos, but all week long you anticipate Yom Rishon Shabbos, Shein Shabbos, Shlishi Shabbos. You feel, you look forward, you anticipate, you count down to Shabbos all week long. Lo tevaru eish b'yom ha-Shabbos, says the vision, sir. Shabbos kodesh shlicha ha-chanam yimos ha-chol, v'az efshel ha-hargish karoi noam kedusha Shabbos. When you work all week long, then you'll feel the pleasantness, the holiness of Shabbos. You hear how he homiletically reinterprets the Pasuk? When it says, Don't burn a fire in your dwelling places. He says, what the Torah means is, Don't wait till Shabbos to feel the fire of Shabbos. Don't light that fire on Shabbos. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Buy the best food. Get nice flowers. Set the Shabbos table early. Set aside a good Tvar Torah. Have a good story. Make an effort. Prepare. Only those who prepare can eat from Shabbos. So he says, Don't kindle a fire in your house on Shabbos. It's too late. It's too late. You get to the Shabbos table and you're like, what should we talk about? What's a good Tvar Torah? How do we make this meaningful? Anyone have anything here to eat? It's too late. The Savar you gotta light that fire, not Bioma Shabbos, that's too late. You gotta do it early, so by the time you get there, your house is already on fire. That's the Vishnitzer's answer to this question. Why is it Vayakel, Adas, what is Laasos in the positive? What is the act of creation that we're doing here? What is the act of creation that we're doing here? Okay, we ready to start? Good. Good. Oh, there's so much just on these first three two psukim. Just Shabbos alone, there's so much to talk about. I'll tell you one other thing. Because I love this uh, perspective. It says, um, Vayakel. Why Vayakel? So the Balaturim writes, Ksiv le'el ki karen or orpano v'samachlei parsha Shabbos lomar e'ina doma kiren panam shal Shabbos l'shal yamim. He quotes a Medrash Barishas Rabbah who says the following. What was the very end of Parshas Kisisa? Moshe has these rays of light that radiate from his head, misinterpreted by, by uh, Christians and Renaissance artists as horns. In Michelangelo's sculpture Moses, there's little horns protruding from his head, and that is the misconception that Jews have horns. Because the end of last week's Parsha, Moshe has these rays of light that radiate. Where did they come from? The leftover ink he didn't use in the Torah, Torah Shabbat, Torah Shabbat Sav. Maybe next year we'll talk about it. There's a lot to talk about. Where, where did these rays of light? And why then? Why did they come from the second luchos? Why didn't they come from the first luchos? There's a lot to talk about. But the Baal Turim is quoting the Medrash that says, what's the connection? The end of last week's parsha, the beginning of this week's parsha. He says, because, she'en adoma kirun panam shashabas l'shayabam. The radiance from your face on Shabbos should be categorically different than the way you look during the week. Your Shabbos appearance should be different than it is during the week. Now simply put, what does it mean your Shabbos appearance should be different than it is during the week? It means your dress. We know that we have designated dress for Shabbos. We dress more formally, we dress more respectfully, we have designated clothing. Mishnabur talks about having a different Shabbos talus from your weekday talus. Shabbos shoes from weekday shoes. Suits that you wear on Shabbos only versus the suits that you wear on the weekday. We have Shabbos 
is clothing only for Shabbos. Some people wear tishbekesha. On Shabbos they come to the table and they look radiant and regal and royal. It's Shabbos, there's a different lavush, a different malbush. This past Friday night I had a sitting congressman wearing a tishbekesha at my Shabbos table. I started wearing one, I give it out to whoever else wants to wear one at the table. And it's a regal, it's a, probably the first time in history, but it's a regal look of a, of, a, of a Shabbos look. So superficially, minimally, it looks like, what does it mean to have a Shabbos look? means your clothing. But that's not what the Medrash is talking about. Moshe's, superfi- Moshe's light didn't come from his clothing. It didn't radiate from Moshe's clothing. It wasn't from the suit lady in Tinek. Where did the light come from? It came from his own face, was radiant, was radiating. He was alive, he was vibrant, it was light. What the Medrash is saying is, just as Moshe achieved a radiance, a glow, so too Shabbos we have a glow. And here I want to quote, I've said it many times before, but it bears repeating. The insight of the Menachem Tzion, of Menachem Tzion Zaks. I love this insight. He says, in order to recite Sheva Brachas, you have to have Panam Chadashas, you have to have people who weren't at the wedding or weren't at the meal part of the wedding. Tosfos says Shabbos is Panam Chadashos. I've said this in the Parsha class before. What does it mean Shabbos is Panam Chadashos? So the simple understanding is that this criteria, this is something that you only need during the week. And Shabbos, everyone's so happy you don't need it. You don't need, you don't need new people. What does it mean Shabbos is that new person? So the Menachem Tzion says, you know what it means? Shabbos is Panam Chadashos? It means Shabbos gives us Panam Chadashos. We are the Panam Chadashas. You went to a wedding on Sunday night, on Tuesday night, on Thursday night, you were wearing your weekday face. You were on your phone, you came late, you had to leave early, there's a million things going on, you had work the next day, you got a thousand things on your mind, you had your Vachadik upon him. Your fabissima, miserable, <laughs> distracted, distracted, worried, anxious, envious, angry, tired, complaining, weekday face on. When you came to the Shabbos Sheva Brachas, you're not recognizable. It's a new person. You're wearing your Shabbos Panim. You are the Panim Chadashos. When a Jew enters Shabbos, they put on a new face. And so he says, that's Pshat. We sing it. I've never sung Lechadodi the same after seeing this insight. When we sing Lechadodi on Friday night, Lechadodi Lekraskala, come my beloved to greet the queen, queen, Pnei Shabbos Nekabla. We're going to greet Pnei Shabbos. Who's Pnei Shabbos? Says Rabbi Nachman Metzion Zaks, Pnei Shabbos Nekabla means, come, let's put on our Shabbos Panim. I lit candles. I've come to shul. I'm singing Lechadodi. Come, let's take off that worried, that anxious, that angry, that divisive, that complaining face. And let's put on our Shabbos Panim. Community, unity, happiness, serenity, tranquility. Pnei Shabbos Nekabla. I'm putting on my Shabbos Panim. So the Medrash says, why is the end of Kisisa, Moshe has these radiating rays of light, and all of a sudden now we have the gift of Shabbos to tell us, when Shabbos comes, like Moshe, your face should radiate light. Shabbos Panam. You could wear a Tishbekasra and be a miserable, anxious, fabissima, complaining, negative person. So the external clothing don't change the person. You have to put on your Shabbos Panam. We have to be the Panam Chadashos. Pnei Shabbos, the Kabla, you got to put on your Shabbos Panam. Okay. Let's get into the parsha. <laughs> we have a few minutes left. What else? Lo savaru ish b'chol mosh v'seichem. Oh, there's so many things to say here. So I'll tell you very quickly, lo savaru ish, because it's also one of my favorites. Oh, there was so many things. You guys are killing me. Lo savaru ish b'chol mosh v'seichem. Don't light a fire in all your dwelling places. 
It's referring to the malacha, you can't light a fire on Shabbos. If you last listened a couple of years ago, we spoke about this is the origin of chant. Mr. Volkin mentioned it in his class this, after, this uh, Shabbos afternoon also. It, it dates all the way back to the time of the Balamor, that the Karaim used to not eat food on Shabbos because it says, You can't have a fire in your dwelling place. How are you going to have hot food Shabbos day if you can't have a fire? And they take the Torah literally. So you can't have a fire means you can't even have an existing fire from before Shabbos. So already dating back to the time of the Balamor of Zerachi Halevi, we said, no, how do you show, how do you affirm that you are not one of the Karayim? By Dafka eating hot food Shabbos day. It's a mitzvah. Mishnah Bura quotes, it is a virtuous practice to eat hot food Shabbos day. You don't want hot food? You should make hot food anyway. Eat hot food anyway. There's no seasons. Challenge season, non-challenge season, this season, that season. Hot food Shabbos day, a Jew eats hot food Shabbos day to show we're not one of the meaning. The whole, there's all history to the origin of Chalant and Chamin and where it developed in different countries. But that's why we're obsessed with eating hot food Shabbos day. We don't get by with figuring out how we have good food without it being hot. We dafka try to eat hot food in order to show our proper understanding or interpretation of this Pasuk. The Shlach HaKadosh of Yishaya Halevi Haaretz in the 16th, early 17th century has a homiletical interpretation. What does he say, Lo Sevaru, Eish B'chomash Mosecha means? He said, Eish is a fire, means anger and rage. And the Pasuk is telling us, Lo Sevaru, Eish B'chomash Mosecha, B'yam HaShabbos, you cannot get angry on Shabbos. In your home, in your dwelling places, there's no room for anger. So what does that mean? You're allowed to be angry Sunday through Friday? No. Anger, of course, is a categorically bad quality. The Rambam and Ramban both agree that even though all qualities we should do with the golden mean, all qualities we should walk the middle of the road, although the Kutzker, I mentioned last week in our class on the Sachachavr, the Kutzker said, the middle of the road is for horses. That was the Kutzkers. <laughs> the middle of the road is for horses. But the Rambam and the Ramban both say, when it comes to Midas, when it comes to interpersonal qualities, you should moderate. But there are two things that we should be extreme about. We should be extremely humble, and we should be exceedingly slow to anger. So there's never room to get angry. Sunday through Friday, don't get angry either. But Shabbos especially, which really fits with the last thing that we said. When you put on your Shabbos punim, you can't get angry. Or it knocks, the, it knocks off your punim. A Shabbos Panam never gets angry. The Zohar says, Moshe Wasechem, guard your house from fire, refers to your heart. And guarding it from being filled with fire means anger, bitterness, or negativity. Lo Savaru Eish Bechol Moshe Wasechem, Moshe Wasechem, where are the dwelling places of your life, your heart? And Lo Savaru Eish means, don't have any fire raging in your heart on Shabbos. Shabbos is not a time for competitiveness, or for anger, or for disappointment or for frustration or for any form of negativity. It'll all be waiting for you after Havdalah. Your weekday punim is waiting for you after Havdalah. You're going to put it back on, I promise you. And it's sad. It's sad to put it back on. That's why we, the Neshama Yisera, we long to keep our Shabbos punim. We have to comfort ourselves with Besamim. We're so saddened by taking off our Shabbos punim. But B'chomash Vosecha means in our hearts, Lo Sivaru Eish, don't have any anger, bitterness, negativity. You can't have anything anything which is negative at all. And understand that what's Asur on Shabbos? Malachas Machsheves. Only thoughtful Malacha. Creative Malacha. Anger is not an emotion. Anger is something we create. You don't have to feel anger. You don't have to respond with that emotion. Anger is a decision that we allow ourselves to be angry. It's a Malachas Machsheves. It's forbidden. It's a creative labor. Don't create anger. Be in control. Resist the urge have peace and tranquility and serenity. It's what Shabbos, it's what Shabbos is all about. Lo sevaru eish b'chol mosh 
So that's how he interprets the, uh, the Shlach Kodesh interprets what this Pasuk really means. I'll tell you, I think we only have time, I, we have a whole partial here that we're not going to get to. The good news is it's basically the same as Truma. So go see Truma, everything we said on Truma. I wanted to get to more parts of it. We have the building of the Kiyor. I mean, there's a lot of really important stuff here. Betzalel is identified. I was going to go through the Orachayim. Why does he have the name Betzalel, Uri, Chur, Aliyav? Where do the names come from? And how, when they have their name, was it a description of their destiny? But Baruch Hashem, I'll tell you phenomenal news. We're going to read this again next year. So there's, there's more to talk about. But let me end with one, one last insight. I guess we're not getting fit past the first two Sukkim today. So let me add... Uh, end with one more insight which I think actually correlates very well with something that we said it's an insight from Rav Shechter's uh, Sefer on the Parsha they now have Rav Shechter on the Parsha Rav Shechter on Moadim and Rav Shechter on the Haggadah just came out the best part of Rav Shechter on the Haggadah I haven't looked at it yet but the best part of it is the cover because the Haggadah is Vigar to Levincha and his family surprised him by on the cover it's pictures it's a collage of him learning with each of his children and grandchildren it's a beautiful cover. It's a beautiful cover. So Rav Shechti here in the parsha. This is not on the Haggadah, the parsha. He points out the Torah singles out the Malacha of Havara. As we just said, in the Gemara and Shabbos, the Vayim brings two opinions. Why is the Malacha mentioned separately from everything else? Rabbi Yochanan explains that this is the reason the Mishnah specifies the total 39 Malachas when it enumerates the prohibited Malachas to teach the principle of Chilak Malachas. If a person was aware of the Kedusha of Shabbos, but was unaware of the prohibitive nature of all the 39 malachas, and he violated each of them. So let's say you know it's Shabbos. You know it's Shabbos. You know today's Shabbos. But you didn't realize that all 39 of these things are forbidden. You had no idea. So now you violated all 39 of them. You plowed, and you planted, and you harvested, and you ground, and you kneaded, and you bait. You went through all 39 malachas. You know all of them. Are you liable for each one of those violations? Or do you say you only violated one thing called Shabbos? Did you violate 39 things? Or did you violate one? Did you do the same Issa repeatedly, so you only bring one korban chattas, one sacrifice? Or do we view it that you committed 39 separate, requiring 39 separate sacrifices? So that's what the Gemara concludes, that, that uh, if you knew it was Shabbos, the Kedusha of Shabbos, but you did the separate, that's the Machlokas, whether you say Chilak Malachas. So the Gemara continues and says, what does it mean that a person knows it's Shabbos? I understand what it means to not know these 39 things are forbidden. My six-year-old son and I go to Avos every Saturday night. We have a great Avos program. So most of this year we were learning, there's a beautiful book by Rabbi Chait, the picture book on 39 Malachas. It's fantastic. It's made for children with pictures, but it's got little footnotes, and it tells you each halacha, Daraisa, Darabanan, what's mutter, what's aser. It's a great, great book. So in fact, the Shabbos that Rav Shechter was here, my son, Baruch Hashem, Azaz de Kedusha, has a holy chutzpah, I asked Rav Shechter if he could come to Avas Subbanim and learn with us. So Rav Shechter, it's a little intimidating, learning with Rav Shechter at Avas Subbanim. So we were going through the 39 Malachas book, and it's really an experience learning that with Rav Shechter, where he looked at a picture and says, oh, according to Taisvus and Daftis, this picture is not exactly right, according to, you know, according to this Paisik over here, this one, little that, like that, and so on and so forth. The 39 Malachas. So in that book, so let's say a person says, I know today's Shabbos. It's Kedusha Shabbos, I know today's Shabbos. But they didn't know about these 39 categories of forbidden things, and they violate each one of them. So what does it mean to know it's Shabbos? To not know that these 39 things are forbidden, that's easy to understand. What does it mean? What is the threshold of what it means to know Kedusha Shabbos, that today is Shabbos? So the Gemara answers, what does it mean that you know it's Shabbos? It means you know it's Shabbos with regard to the din of Tchumen. You know that you're not allowed to carry beyond 2,000 Amma. 
You're not allowed to walk, sorry, beyond 2,000 amma. So regarding the law of Tchumen, of knowing that there's a Daraisa prohibition, a biblical prohibition on the limit of how far you can travel, that's what it meant that you knew it was Shabbos. So Rav Shechter points out the underlying message of the Gemara is that there's no concept of abstract holiness. If your sole knowledge of the concept of Shabbos is that it's a holy day, endowed with ethereal kedusha, that's tantamount to a complete lack of awareness of the entire concept of Shabbos. In order to be considered someone who's aware of the kedusha of Shabbos, you have to be aware of a practical application of kedusha, such as the Isra of Tchumen. Because the very definition of kedusha entails an obligation to observe additional Isurim in practice. What does it mean to know today's Shabbos? What does it mean to know that it's holy? Holiness has to have meaning. Holiness is not the abstract. Well, I feel holy and I feel good and spiritual and kumbaya and ooh. That's not what it means to know it's Shabbos. What does it mean I know it's Shabbos? I feel the energy and time that it's Shabbos. That wouldn't qualify as knowing it's Shabbos for this halacha. To know it's Shabbos, as Shechter points out, means to know in a very real, real practical way. For example, and that's what he's saying, Kedusha, the whole point of his essay on this parsha is that Kedusha is rooted in action. Kedusha is not in the abstract. Kedusha is not the ethereal. Kedusha is not the ego. Creativity, I've invented my own Kedusha. This makes me feel holy. This makes me feel the energy of holiness. That's not authentic holiness. It's counterfeit. Real holiness is in action. And real holiness is the action as prescribed by Hashem. So for example, the Kedusha of a Kohen forbids him from coming in contact with a corpse, from marrying a divorcee. The Kedusha of Truma makes it forbidden to the Tameh individual, to the non-Kohen. The Kedusha of the base of Mikdash forbids entry of one who's Tameh, allows the offering and consumption of Karbonos. Kedusha of Israel obligates its produce in various mitzvahs, are dependent on the land, and so on. This discussion has relevance to the mitzvah obligation on women as well. When Hashem declared to B'nai Yisrael, You are a kingdom of ministers, a holy nation. It was said equally, This indicates that the level of Kedusha of the women among Kala Yisrael is equal to that of men. It's quoting Igros Moshe. Moshe has a whole tshuva, or a chayim chelik dalit about this, that the Kedusha of men and women is equal. Rav Salavechik elaborated on this point in explaining the ruling of the Ramah based on the opinion of Rabbeinu Tam, that women are permitted to recite a bracha on time-bound positive mitzvahs. Women can volunteer a bracha on a mitzvah So a woman does not have to hear the shofar or take a lulav or sit in the sukkah. But if she wants to volunteer it, does she make a bracha? It's machlok is rambam tosos, machaber ramah, ashkenazim svardim. Svardim says she can't volunteer a bracha. How can she say with any honesty, she's not commanded. Ashkenazim followed the opinion of tosos, the ramah, that she can volunteer so Rabbi Salavitchik explained, how does that work? He said, since the Kedusha Yisrael of women is equal to that of men, the definition of Kedusha entails practical mitzvah obligation. The correct way to view the relationship of women to time-bound mitzvahs is as follows. Women were commanded to perform time-bound positive mitzvahs, then they were exempt from the obligation. In other words, it's not that they were never commanded. Everyone was Kedusha Yisrael commanded in all mitzvahs, then women became exempt. So when they say, they're being honest and accurate to when they were originally commanded before the exemption. All of this essay is to reinforce this notion that Kedusha means practical, action. Kedusha is not the abstract. Kedusha is not the hibijibi spiritual energy makes me feel good. And this relates back to what we said about the Chayta Ego, Kasher Tzivashem. Kedusha is following what Hashem told us is the prescription and the formula to holiness. We can't invent it, we can't create it, we can't come up with our alternate path to achieve it. 
Kedusha, real holiness, is rooted in following the will of Hashem. And only then does he descend with a sense of his shechina, and can we feel that he is our shachin.